a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh, man. And we got some stuff to discuss today. Hey, before we get there, quick shout out here to my sponsors. These are the folks who make it possible for me to sit down every day and share the best information that I can find within a 24-hour period to help shed some light on what's going on in our world that, that matters, as well as what we can do about it without, you know, tying ourselves in knots over things that, that really sometimes we simply have no control over. These sponsors include HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. So what makes this program different from other programs out there? Well, you know, it's going to be similar to a lot of them. Frankly, you know, some guy talking behind a microphone and, you know, sharing the news stories and commentaries and <clears throat> having guests on that, that have opinions to share. But more than anything, I think the distinction you'll find here is I don't expect you to agree with me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd be flattered if you did. But it's really not about, uh, wow, Brian, you're really smart. You've got all the answers here. I Look, I'm just, I'm just a guy who's trying to use whatever talents and, and passions God gave me to the highest use possible. And in my mind, that is to speak the truth, at least as, as clearly as I understand it, for those who are really actively seeking truth. And I totally understand that's not everybody. It's certainly not the masses. The masses don't want truth. You know what they want? They want checks with their names on them. <laughs> That's, I mean, we all kind of want that at some level, but, you know, for some people, truth is a priority. And if you're one of those people, I think you're going to find this is a program that has something of value to offer you. And then, of course, there's, I, I feel the need to speak up and be a counter to the, uh, the mainstream or legacy media, which is very happy to tell you what to think, how to feel, and, you know, what, uh, what you're allowed to believe without actually giving you anything of substance. In fact, may I share with you, Two minutes of the best satire you have ever heard. This is a television broadcast, but you don't need to see the video. It's just a talking head. But listen to what he's saying, and this is a pretty accurate portrayal of how your mainstream and legacy media view people like you and me. Are you ready for this? Good evening, and welcome to the Because We Said So report. Here's what we want you to think. The sky is falling. Please remain in a fetal position until further notice. And remember, you can rely on us here at the Because We Said So Report. To continue to support your cognitive dissonance, learned helplessness, confirmation bias, and appeal to authority during these unprecedented times. And now it's time to go over the carefully selected stories that have been chosen to manipulate your emotions, thoughts, and decisions. A new study shows that we can get you to believe anything as long as we begin by saying, a new study. A recent report by top experts concludes that we can get you to do anything as long as we say it's for your safety. We interrupt our regularly scheduled repeating of false stories to bring you the following special report. Something irrelevant to your life just happened and now I'm going to blow it out of proportion for days to keep you distracted from what's really going on. The long-awaited miracle device scientists at Hobble Tech are enthusiastically calling the Hobbler 
has just been approved by the Center for All That Is Good for Immediate Public Use. This cutting-edge technology will free us, for our safety, from the burden of thinking for ourselves or doing anything at all. The party can then utilize us as they see fit. Across the globe, there are massive lines eager to be fitted with this new miracle device, which will soon eliminate the need for exercise, critical thinking, or scientifically debunked nuisances such as love or empathy. Hobbletech, making life easier. In other news, the party has rightly begun a mass operation transporting those who fail to trust this untested, settled science to internment camps for your safety. And remember, until the hobbler is fully implemented worldwide, you can count on us at the Because We Said So report to always be here to tell you what to think, what to do, and most importantly, who to hate. Wow. 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 <laughs> now, this I picked this up off of Twitter uh, from uh, Matthias Page's uh, Twitter account. I I don't know who made that, but that is that is pure gold. And like most satire, there's a pretty healthy dose of truth contained in there as well. So... It's, uh, it's definitely, you know, we'll tell you who to hate. We'll tell you what to think. We'll tell you. We're going to play with your emotions. We're going to take something that happened that, that in no way impacts you, but blow it out of proportion and talk about it for days as if it's the most important thing ever. Pretty clever stuff. And you know what? It works. It keeps us distracted. It keeps us, you know, focused on things that, uh, that eat up our time and eat up our effort and our mental and moral energy without ever actually allowing us to accomplish something. Seems kind of uh, diabolical when you put it in those terms. Speaking of diabolical, oh boy, if you've been waiting for the right moment to seriously consider pulling your kids out of government schools, I think that moment might be here. I don't know if you caught the news yesterday, but the CDC did vote yesterday, at least their advisory uh, council, or advisory committee, rather, on immunization practices, 15 to nothing. It was a unanimous vote to add COVID-19 shots to the children's recommended vaccine schedule. Now, if you have kids in public school, you know this is a big deal. Sometimes you can get exemptions. It depends on the state. There are some states that just simply say, no, if your kids' vaccinations aren't up to date, they cannot attend school. But now they're slipping in the COVID-19 vaccine. And I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist when I say this, but kids, at least, you know, young people, are statistically at such low risk from COVID. I can't think of a single young person, at least that I know of personally, who died of COVID. Now, does that mean that none of them have ever died? No, there have been kids, you know, with compromised immune systems, you know, with leukemia and things like this, that, that were susceptible to COVID infection. But even then, the numbers are minuscule. So they're at the lowest possible risk. And yet now this is being mandated as well. If your kids are going to go to school, you know, if they're six months of age or older, then uh, they need to have the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, look, obviously it's your kid. So I'm not trying to tell you this is what you have to do. But I'm going to say, if you are a person who has concerns, first of all, about how this vaccine has been pushed on the American public, as well as, you know, a billion or so other people around the world. If you are concerned about that and think, man, they're pushing this harder than a used car salesman at the end of the month. This is really, really intense. Maybe this is a time to step back, take a deep breath, and really evaluate, is this really in the best interest of my child? 
I mean, during the question period, one of the members of the committee actually raised questions over the vaccine being included on the schedule when it's been recommended for use under what they call an emergency use authorization, right? The, the EUA. And uh, the, general, the Office of General Counsel for the CDC said, well, that'll be okay to add. And of course, they've, they've got the federally funded Vaccine for Kids program, which provides vaccines to kids at, at no or low cost to families. So, yeah, I'm questioning, you know, the official, you know, conventional wisdom here of why do we need to get this into the kids? Now, this is not to say that well, you're just an anti-vaxxer. You're against all vaccines. I'm really not. But I'll tell you, with, with my own kids, my wife and I took this very seriously. And with a couple of our kids, we withheld getting their vaccines. We, we held off, I should say, getting their vaccines until there was a time when we felt that it was appropriate to do so. I'm glad that we did, because with one of my sons, you know, of course, the push was, well, he needs these right away, you know, as an infant. But something just did not feel right to us. And we both, both my wife and I were like, I think we need to hold off. Now, we weren't trying to make any kind of a political statement. We weren't trying to, you know, protest and, you know, tell people the vaccine's going to kill him. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it other than we felt strongly that, he might be higher risk. And so he was five before he got his first vaccine and had a very negative reaction to it. Now, he's a healthy guy now. He's doing fine. But isn't it just typical that, that people who want to push something on us, meaning people in positions of authority, and sadly, this includes a lot of health authorities now, are coming in the back door and, and, and getting kids well, as a condition of sending your kid to school, you're going to have to do this. I know for some people, this is going to be one of those uh, make or break moments. They're going to say, I, I can't do this or I won't do this to my child. And so they've got to come up with something, you know, different to get their kid educated or to get them schooled. I should say education is something that will happen outside of school, actually. What a position to be placed in. And it makes you wonder, is, is the... Is the enforcement of this going to ramp up? Are we going to see vaccine passports for young people to make sure that they're getting there so they can, you know, safely go somewhere? I guess the lesson here is you really can't sleep or at least uh, relax when it comes to defending your personal autonomy and your liberties. The people who want to take choice away from you are working day and night, and sometimes they're working through your kids to make it happen. Pay close attention to this story. I think it's going to become a much bigger one as time goes on. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to recognize... GarageDoorProServices.com for being one of the sponsors of my program. And I would encourage you, if you live in St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona, you are right there within their service realm. And they are there to install, service, and repair garage doors, doors made in America. And they'll do a fantastic job for you. They offer commercial service as well as residential service. You can call them at 435-525-2773 or... Go online to garagedoorproservices.com and get a hold of them that way. Either way, I do appreciate them being a sponsor of this program. 
Well, it's crazy how quickly transgender ideology has taken root in our institutions. And I'm, you know, I'm not encouraging anybody, hey, you know, treat people differently because, you know, they have different ideas or even weird ideas. I'm not saying that. But I do think that we need to, to be real careful before we just allow this movement or this ideology to insert itself into our lives, more importantly, into our kids' lives. Uh, that's why I was, I was surprised, and I mean pleasantly surprised, to see uh, Paul Rosenberg writing about this. He's calling out the transgender movement, and he calls it out for what it is. He says this is child abuse on a civilizational scale. Now, you got to understand, Paul's not a, he's not a fire-breathing Alex Jones, you know, spittle flinger out there trying to raise controversy. He's actually one of the most thoughtful writers and thinkers that I know of. This is why I follow his writings very closely. So when he says, this is not something I ever wanted to write or even imagined writing, and yet, here we are. He says, I've been receiving a stream of reports from wildly divergent sources, all saying the same things. And the fact is that child abuse is being perpetrated on a civilizational scale, massively financed on a civilizational scale. And he says this needs to be addressed. And then he says, yes, I'm talking about the transgender thing. It's being shoved down the throats of children, young children worldwide. And the important thing is, he says, and it is damaging those children. Paul Rosenberg writes, I am reliably informed that more than 40% of children in Sweden, of all places, are confused as to whether they are a boy or a girl. And he says, again, that's nothing less than child abuse. And he says, I'm receiving similar reports from all over North America, the Caribbean, and other places. The spouses of school teachers have whispered to me how horrified they are about it. Children are to be protected and nurtured. Every adult human is responsible for this. Children, and especially their minds, are just forming. They must be insulated from confusion and manipulation. So to confuse them on basic facts, being a boy or a girl, and to do this for dogmatic, political, and status-seeking reasons is despicable. And he says we cannot let it transpire in silence. So as massively redundant as it may be, let's go through some very basic facts. If you have XX chromosomes and female organs, you're a girl. If you have XY chromosomes and male organs, you're a boy. Now, he says, of course, we need to be kind to people, including very odd people. He says, I'm told that a fraction of 1% of humans have genetic abnormalities and don't fit in either XX or XY category. Those people, of course, are to be treated with respect and kindness. They are full beings, even if slightly non-standard. Likewise, adults who decide to undergo some odd medical procedure so they can approximate the other sex are free to do so and may not be abused for their choices. They are full humans with the full right to free choice. And not only must we, must we treat them well, he says, we must defend them from abuse. By the way, that doesn't mean become a doormat for them. That just means, you know, stand up for their right to be left unmolested. And he says that's also the responsibility of adults. And the same goes, of course, for people who simply choose to live differently. But the point here is, None of the above can in any way justify the manipulation and abuse of children. The systems that have backed this and financed it are child abusers on a civilizational scale, and they've done it simply for power, raw, vile political power. 
Isn't that something? That's that's probably the clearest, most succinct call out I have seen of the whole transgender movement. And I think it's the right reason to call it out. It's not wrong because, hey, we need somebody to pick on and somebody to focus our frustration on because we're losing power, man. That's the excuse that the woke will give you. But it's something far more important than that. People are manipulating and messing with children's minds, deliberately sowing seeds of confusion and trying to lead them into a lifestyle that, uh, that is just, it's unhappy. It's, it's unsuccessful. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not, you know, this is not judging, you know, the, the soul of, of these individuals who struggle with gender dysphoria. I think that uh, in every case, and I, granted, I don't know a ton of people who are going through any kind of, you know, transgender, you know, issue. But the people I know who are declaring themselves transgender, to a person, there is some trauma that has taken place in their life. And I know we've all had trauma, but I mean, they've, they've really had serious trauma. Sometimes it's sexual abuse. Sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, something else, post-traumatic stress. I don't know. And I've heard a couple of, uh, well, one psychologist and one uh, licensed counselor, both of whom struggled with gender dysphoria themselves, who made the, the case, and I think quite convincingly, that the, the gender confusion that they felt stemmed from being sexually abused as a child. And the really interesting thing was, as they, they talked not just about their own experience, but as they talked about others that they have worked with, was that when the trauma that had happened was addressed, in other words, when, when they received treatment, not for their you know gender dysphoria, but for the abuse that they had suffered, guess what went away? Yeah, the gender dysphoria itself disappeared once the trauma itself was addressed and the healing could begin. Well, that's pretty unscientific, Brian. You know, what do you know about this? I don't know anything about it. I'm just telling you what people who've actually worked with patients or worked with clients who've struggled with this have have said. And it seems to make sense. But we're not supposed to question these kind of things, right? I mean, that's hateful. That's, you know, this this is attacking people. But at some level, we've got to be gatekeepers, especially for our own kids. And it's so interesting, you know, the... The, the media is running cover. There are activists who are running cover. Well, it's not really taking place here. It's not really happening, you know. And yet, uh, I, I'm telling you, if you haven't ever visited the Libs of TikTok uh, Twitter account or the Libs of TikTok website, it's very convincing when you look at uh, these videos filmed by these uh, transgender activists themselves, a lot of them teachers, which is, is really disturbing on its own level, bragging about how they are, you know, they're creating spaces for the kids, you know, to, to have, a, have a safe place in their classroom where we can keep secrets from mom and dad because mom and dad just don't get this. Can you not see how insidious that is? And then you have governments like in Great Britain where if you say the word, hey, that's insidious. Why, uh, Mr. Hyde, we're going to have to arrest you here or at least ticket you for using hateful language. It's bad. I mean, in, in Great Britain, they're not even allowed to acknowledge the truth, at least openly. They're intimidated into silence by laws that say you can't even question this. I mean, it, of all the places where I see the world losing its mind, 
This is probably the one I would point to first and foremost and say, what is up with this? And why do they pretend so hard that this is, this is really, this is okay. You know, the drag queen story hour, it's a good thing. Kids need to see this kind of stuff. Really? My kids aren't going to grow up to be decent, productive people if they don't have a chance to hang out with a man in lingerie. Yeah, I'm a bit of a skeptic on that. Look, I'm not looking for an excuse to to hate anybody. I don't let enemy-driven thinking run my life. But I do have a clear sense of right and wrong. And this is one of those times where if you have that clear sense of right and wrong, you've got to be willing to speak up. You've got to be willing to put your foot down, and especially where your own kids are concerned, to say not only no, but hell no. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is a quick invitation. If you would like, please subscribe to my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. I'm going to throw in a little bonus for you as well. Every day, I do a little two-minute feature. This is aired on a limited number of radio stations, but it's actually one of my favorite parts of the day. It's, it's a little feature called Hide in Plain Sight. And what I'm talking about here is information, uh, you know, distilled wisdom, principles, that should be obvious, but oftentimes they aren't. Sometimes it just takes someone saying, hey, did you see this? And then you look at it and go, oh, wow, I hadn't really thought of that. So it's a little feature that I do. I, I, don't, I don't send you the audio. I do, I do send out the script to that. But that's if you're a subscriber to my show notes, I throw that in at no cost. I'm not trying to clutter up your inbox, but I am trying to send out some content that is this. In this case, the hide in plain sight content is very non-political. Not trying to persuade anybody one way or the other. But I'm definitely trying to encourage people think. Go ahead and think outside the box. Some of it's uplifting. Some of it's thought-provoking. Some of it maybe is mildly controversial just because it's thought-provoking. But I'd sure love to share it with you. All right, back to the show. So building on what I was talking about with uh, child abuse on a civilizational scale, meaning the transgender movement, came across a a great article from Lawrence Vance. This was on LewRockwell.com. And it reminded me of something that Charlie Reese, one of my favorite columnists, and a guy who really influenced my own thinking in terms of he encouraged clear, independent thought as one of the highest duties that a citizen can have, especially in times of crisis. And I remember Charlie Reese, among the things that he said that I thought were were very wise, was he said the only classification of human beings that really matters is whether people are either decent or indecent. Now, he was specifically talking about people who were into, you know, the whole group identity politics and, you know, well, depending on what group you belong to, what color is your skin or what's your sexual preference or anything like that, that's not what matters. What matters is, is your behavior, not just your characteristics, your behavior, is your behavior decent or is it indecent? And I think he had a point. That is a very powerful distinction. And people who are behaving in decent ways are decent people. People who are behaving in indecent ways are indecent people. Now, there's another uh, distinction, and we heard this back in the 2016 campaign. I believe it was uh, uh, Hillary Clinton who talked about the deplorables. The deplorables, remember that? The basket of deplorables. Lawrence Vance has an excellent article about deplorables versus despicables. 
In fact, he recounts at an LGBT campaign fundraising event in New York City, September 9th, 2016, Hillary Clinton infamously said, quote, I know there are only 60 days left to make our case and don't get complacent. Don't see the latest outrageous, offensive, inappropriate comment and think, well, he's done this time. We are living in a volatile political environment. You know, just to be grossly generalistic, she said you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables, right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. And he has lifted them up. He has given voice to their websites that used to only have 11,000 people, now have 11 million. He tweets and retweets their offensive, hateful, mean-spirited rhetoric. Now, some of these folks, they are irredeemable. But thankfully, they are not America. End quote. Now, this was not the first time that Hillary had characterized Trump supporters as deplorables. In an interview in the week of earlier in the week of her LGBT campaign fundraising event, she said, if I were to be grossly generalistic, I'd say you can take Trump supporters and put them in two big baskets. The first basket contained what she called the deplorables. Now, Hillary's basket of deplorables mainly consisted of white, rural, conservative Christians who despised Hillary's progressive agenda. It was made up of the same people that Obama had a few years earlier described as bitter people who cling to guns or religion or antipathy to people who aren't like them or anti-immigrant sentiment or anti-trade sentiment as a way to explain their frustrations. Now, Lawrence Vance says, look, some deplorables are no doubt actually deplorable, but at least they're not despicable. He says the despicables are a small minority, but they're easy to spot because they're so vocal and so despicable. The despicables are the ones who defend drag queen story hours for children at libraries. The despicables are the ones who support gender-affirming care for children. That would be sexual mutilation of children. The despicables are the ones who oppose the legislation in Florida that forbids classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in first through third grade. The despicables are the teachers who promote transgenderism in the classroom. The despicables are the ones who want the government to force Christian bakers to bake cakes celebrating same-sex marriage or gender transitioning. The despicables are the ones who oppose state laws prohibiting gender transition treatments for minors. The despicables are the ones who support abortion as a form of birth control. The despicables are the ones who support abortion on demand up to birth. The despicables are the ones who support taxpayer-funded abortions. The despicables are the doctors who perform abortions. The despicables are the ones who support gender transition closets in schools. The despicables are those who believe that health insurance companies should cover elective gender-affirming surgery. The despicables are the ones who support the right of men and boys masquerading as women and girls to use female restrooms and locker rooms and play on girls' sports teams. The despicables are the ones who see nothing wrong with puberty blockers for gender-confused children. The despicables are the ones who think that gender dysphoria is a legitimate medical condition that should be treated with hormone therapy or surgery. The despicables are the doctors who mutilate children and the parents who allow it. What is doubly despicable is that some left libertarians are part of the despicables. Most of them were CDC libertarians until they transitioned to being outspoken defenders of abortion and transgender children. And Lawrence Vance says, I would much rather be a deplorable than a despicable. Now, I know this is Brian. Are you throwing red meat? I thought you said you were through with your red meat throwing phase. I I really believe that I am. 
because my goal here isn't to make you angry. Okay, I'm not trying to rile you up against the despicables, but I want to clearly point out this is where we are today. This is the crossroads where we're standing. And I know that, you know, there's times we want to just sit back and, well, you know, but I don't want to make waves. I don't want to, I don't want to cause any, any, you know, problems here. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to remind you of a quote. I believe it was from uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. So how is this injustice? Well, if you're manipulating kids' minds, I'd say that's injustice. And to try to stay neutral, to play it safe by not getting involved at all, there is no honor in remaining aloof. I think back to an article I wrote some years ago about the need for the right kind of outlaws. And, and I, I got that actually from, uh, I think it was Claire Wolf who talked about this. You know, we think about outlaws. We think of Josie Wales, right? Chomping on a cigar, you know, gunslinger. But the truth is that not all outlaws are bad guys. And I know this goes outside the boundaries of approved opinion, but I, my opinion is this. If freedom is to survive in modern America, we need more of the right kind of outlaws. We don't need perfectly obedient or quiet heel clickers. This is how Claire Wolf described the right kind of outlaw. She called them freedom outlaws. She said a freedom outlaw is loosely someone who cares so much about freedom that he or she will go after it regardless of any laws or regulations blocking the way. Will go after it personally. Not petition for it, not write letters for it, not vote for it, but go for it. Now that's not a call to be lawless. But, of course, law and order types will say, well, of course it is. Uh, The law is the law. But it's the recognition, first of all, we're buried in so many incomprehensible laws, it's impossible for any of us to avoid being a lawbreaker, no matter how careful we are. And for people who are, you know, who are really tuned into obedience, it's hard for them to realize, well, at some level, you're a criminal, too, because you are breaking some law. And all I'm suggesting here is that it's much more important to have the ability to distinguish between right and wrong than it is to simply obey what some politician has written on a piece of paper. You know, historically, the greatest injustices that were ever visited upon mankind were those that were carried out in the name of the law. So when people in power write laws that give themselves permission to steal or kidnap or assault or rape or murder us, the nature of right and wrong hasn't changed. And the most effective remedy to that kind of institutionalized wrongdoing is for courageous men and women to stand and resist official injustice. Now, we do this first by words, then by actions. And making that stand places individuals who are doing so outside the protection of the law. But that doesn't mean they're not doing the right thing. Just like the people who helped slaves escape on the Underground Railroad, you know, they were outside the law too, but they were still doing the right thing. I think Claire Wolf put it this way. She said, breaking laws that intend are intended to silence us or to intimidate us or fleece us or control us, that's not cause for shame. Free people understand the law is supposed to protect us and they'll embrace their outlaw status knowing that they are standing for the right. So that's what I'm encouraging you to do is fine-tune your sense of right and wrong and regardless of what the laws on the book say, Let your conscience be your guide. I know, dangerous stuff, but I think that's the right path to follow. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, a shout-out to HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and LifesavingFood.com. I know you're busy, but if you can find the time to click on the links that I provide in my show notes and get acquainted with each of these sponsors, I think you'll find it well worth your while. They all have things to offer you that, uh, that you maybe even didn't know that you needed, but you'll be glad once you click on those links. All right, a couple things to uh, cover here in uh, the closing moments of today's show. First of all, um, I don't know if you were seeing prices inching higher. <laughs> you know, the gas pump, the grocery store, actually everything that we're buying. But it's understandable people would appreciate a solution. And, of course, politicians, oh, I'm here to provide a solution. My solution is price controls. That's the wrong answer. And I've got a great article here from Adi Gol- Golcha. I'm probably killing Adi's name here. Uh, this is from the Foundation for, e- for Economic Education. Price controls should remain on the ash heap of history. Now, you don't have to be seeking an advanced degree in economics to, to get this, but prices tell us vital information about our economy. They are signals as to supply and demand and so forth. This is an excellent article. And above all, it just makes a powerful case. Don't let the government step in there and start instituting price controls. It just distorts the economy and exacerbates the problem even worse. So I'll encourage you, take a look at that. The, the other article I wanted to share with you, I thought this was really interesting. A recent New York Times poll shows Generation X, that's my generation, isn't exactly supportive of Democratic candidates or causes. And Julie Kelly, writing for American Greatness, says that's because we still remember what it was like to grow up with a measure of freedom. Gen X is telling the Democrats, eat my shorts. We want an America that's fun, happy, and free, the country we grew up in, and we crave for our children. She says some social media blue checks had a little bit of a temper tantrum this week following the release of a New York Times poll that showed overwhelming support for Republicans among Gen X voters. Now, the poll broke down the results by the respondents' ages, and while the category encompassing Gen X also technically included some younger baby boomers, it captured most of the so-called slacker generation. According to the survey, Gen Xers, those born between 1965 and 1980, now prefer a Republican candidate to a Democratic candidate 59% to 38%. That is a huge gap unmatched by other age groups. Boomers, the next closest group, split at 48% for each. Now, this wasn't only bad news, the only bad news for Democrats. 56% of Gen Eckers strongly disapprove of Joe Biden's job performance. Nine, a percentage point, nine points higher than the disapproval of baby boomers and 20 points higher than that of millennials. Donald Trump has the highest approval rating and lowest unfavorable rating among Gen X voters. 42% of my generation, she says, describe Democrats as a threat to democracy. 50% say the best, or say the same, rather, about Biden. Now, this Times poll, Julie Kelly says, is not an outlier. A whopping 64% of Gen Xers disapprove of Biden, eight points higher than the next closest age group of the boomers, according to a morning consult survey conducted earlier this month. Gen Xers are most likely to believe the country is on the wrong track, plan to vote Republican next month, think coronavirus hysteria is a bigger threat to the economy than to public health, disapprove of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and approve of Trump. A new CBS News poll shows Biden with a 51% strongly disapprove rating and Republicans with a seven-point advantage over Democrats among Gen Xers. 
56% describe the Democratic Party as extreme. In other words, we have we are millions of Johnny Benders, remember him from The Breakfast Club, living in a world run by Richard Vernons. And we have a message for the Biden regime. Eat my shorts. You may have to dust off your copy of The Breakfast Club to, to get some of these references, but hey, the soundtrack is excellent, so do it. Now, Julie Kelly says there's nothing really new in these responses. In fact, a 2014 Columbia University paper analyzing the voting habits of five generations of white Americans dating back to 1855 shows Gen X as the most reliably Republican generation in history. Those born in the mid to late 1960s are the most Republican of all. That would be her <laughs> and, and, and me. Although, uh, look, I, this is not so much her shilling for the Republican Party. She has clearly called them out before. But let's face it, given the choices that you have in terms of the, the major political parties, um, the Republicans, they may still, you know, be part of the vehicle that's taking us over the cliff, but they're not the ones urging the driver to keep that pedal to the metal. Take that for what it's worth. Partisan leanings, the researchers observed, are formed between the ages of 14 to 24. So for those in Gen X, the years that shaped us transpired at the height of the Reagan revolution. Their political socialization seems to have started with President Carter. By the time he left office, an energy crisis, stagflation, the Iran hostage crisis, and other events had left him, meaning the Gen Xer, in the 30 to 40 percent range. I'm sorry, I left Carter in the 30 to 40 percent range. This led Reagan's campaign and his optimistic vision of America as a shining city on a hill. And the recovery hit full swing shortly thereafter. And Reagan, whose campaign famously declared that it was morning in America again, was reelected in a landslide, winning 49 of 50 states. This powerful imagery and apparently overwhelming support of the American people no doubt had a powerful impact on the younger cohort who, 16 years old at the time, were squarely in the middle of their peak years of political socialization, end quote. So, I remember the first vote that I got to cast in a general election was for Ronald Reagan. I was 18 years old, and, and uh, it was 1984, and wow, it was, it was pretty exciting stuff. Now, truth be told, I, I voted Republican primarily because that's what my parents voted, but... I really did feel safer with Reagan. Now, look, in, in the years that followed, I understand Reagan made some pretty grave mistakes. I'm sorry, the, the gun law passed in 1986 that <laughs> outlawed the new manufacture of machine guns or transferable machine guns really was bad. That was bad news. But generally, there was a respect and a love for country that was found even among Democrats in Washington. Nothing like this incredible CRT-based, you know, hatred of, well, America is on stolen land and it's a patriarchy and it's all institutional racism and it only benefits white people. And yeah, the people who are making the biggest noise and getting the most uh, TV FaceTime on this are perfect examples of how racism hasn't stopped them one bit. If in fact that's, that's what uh, they're, they're claiming, if what they're claiming really exists. See, I do believe that, that racism is quite a problem, but I differ from a lot of people in that I think the people who are out there hunting it, the, the racist sheet sniffers, so to, think, so to speak, they're the greatest source of racism in the country today. Anyway, I, I, I'm getting off topic here. 
Julie Kelly says, politics only partially shaped our views. Speaking of Generation X, she says Gen X culture was as much about having fun as it was about fighting the establishment. If we were going to fight, it was for our right to party. Thank you, Beastie Boys. Comedians were crude, crass, and did not hesitate to hurt anyone's feelings. If you remember Andrew Dice Clay and Eddie Murphy... Our music was loud and in your face. Our movies usually ended with America as the good guy. Hair was big. Colors were bold. We were and are eager to live. And she says, and this brings us to Donald Trump. We were raised on his style, too. His Art of the Deal was released in 1987 when older Gen Xers were attending college. His brash braggadocio doesn't bother us, for the most part, because we're used to it. Trump inspired the business careers of an untold number of Gen Xers who, despite the slacker label, always had plenty of ambition. And 30 years later, Trump did us another favor. He yanked back the curtain on the failed policies and institutions, fueling the slow decay of the country we love. Democracy-building wars we originally supported were shown to be costly, deadly disasters with no one held accountable. International trade deals had hollowed out large swaths of the middle class, especially in the heartland, while enriching other hostile regimes. The promises of diversity led to unchecked immigration and cultural relativism. Compassionate conservatism was instead a blank check. And then our government turned on us, weaponizing powerful agencies like the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the National Security State against political foes of the establishment. When Trump said, they're not after me, they're after you, I'm just in the way, we believed him. That's only partly why Politico recently declared Gen X as the Trumpiest generation. First they were latchkey kids, then they were slackers, but now they're Republicans, Ben Jacob wrote in May of 2022. Bottom line, Julie Kelly says, is we're not going to take it anymore. Perhaps no adult life event was more clarifying to Gen X than government-forced lockdowns. The evil nature of the ruling class was on full display as they revealed themselves to be cruel, even sadistic in their lust for control, rather than as they claimed, having the best interest of children at heart. She says, our kids lost irretrievably some of the most important years and milestones of their lives without an ounce of regret from those responsible. And the torment continues. As we talked about earlier, vaccine mandates, mask requirements, threat of future lockdowns, still hovering over the youngest generation. Wow. I have a link to this article in my show notes. Julie Kelly hits it pretty much on the head. I think you ought to take a look at it. And if you're a Gen Xer... This is your time to revel in wrong think. This is The Brian Hyde Show.